The Gospel according to Mark. It's one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed this story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus' actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now, Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in Act 1, everybody's blown away by Jesus, and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In Act 2, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in Act 3, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. Good morning, everyone. I'm Ashley Lentz. Welcome to Hope. I'm so glad you're worshiping with us this morning. I wanted to begin with this video from thebibleproject.com because I'm kind of a geek and I really enjoy that we are just reading through the New Testament together. If you didn't know, if this is one of your first visits, welcome. And by the way, we're reading through the Bible this year as a church. You don't have to do that, but we are going to preach through it. And so you will just kind of see this theme of us preaching through the New Testament all year. And this week, we turned the page from Matthew's gospel to Mark's gospel. And this, I just think, gives a good overview of what is happening in the gospel of Mark. Mark is one of my most favorite gospels uh, for a couple different reasons, but this sermon series is called On the Move with Mark. It's because Mark's gospel moves really quickly from Galilee through Jesus' ministry to Jerusalem. And Mark really wants us to figure out, like you heard in the video, who Jesus is for ourselves. He tells us at the very beginning that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then his whole narrative moves us to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection so that we can really realize who this Jesus person is. If you are curious about these things, if you enjoyed that minute and a half of that video, that's the first minute and a half of a nine and a half minute video, uh, go to bibleproject.com. There's a whole bunch of resources like this for every book of the Bible. So if you're reading through the Old Testament with us too, there's some really helpful videos to help you understand our Old Testament readings. Uh, we turned the page to Leviticus this week. How's everyone enjoying Leviticus? Uh-huh. That's the same response I got at the other services. There's kind of like a, a giggly grumble, like, yep, we're reading through Leviticus. It will get better, I promise. It's just so interesting. It all ultimately points to this Jesus. Who is he? He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And Mark moves us quickly to that conclusion. Mark is the shortest gospel. It was also the first gospel written, fun fact. Matthew comes first in our Bibles, but Mark actually wrote first uh, all of these accounts of Jesus. And Matthew and Luke use Mark's gospel when they write their gospel. So if you've been reading with us, or even if you've been listening to the sermons, there's some repeated stuff in Matthew's gospel that we're coming up to in Mark's gospel. 90% of Mark's gospel is used in Matthew's. 
crazy. It's because Mark wrote first and Matthew and Luke said, Mark's account is pretty good. Let's add to his account what we remember because they're different people writing, correct? But they all are pointing to Jesus, this Messiah, the Son of God. There are a couple things as we dig into Mark's gospel, if you are reading along with us, that I want you to pay attention to as you read. The first is the pace of Mark's gospel. Like I told you, it moves really, really quickly. Mark is short and it moves, okay? We move from Galilee to Jesus' ministry to Jerusalem, and Mark uses the word immediately all the time. Immediately, Jesus did this. Immediately, he left there and went there. And you will just follow this along really, really fast. It's because Mark wants you to get to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. This is what makes Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And along the way, you're going to see things and hear things and be part of a crowd that experiences Jesus. And that's the second thing I want you to pay attention to as you read or listen to Mark's gospel. The crowd is actually a main character in these stories. In all of our gospels, the crowd is really important. It's because you and I are kind of part of that crowd. Pay attention to the crowd's response to Jesus' ministry, the crowd's response to his teachings, his miracles. I, I don't know about you. I grew up in church. I've heard a lot of these stories. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you haven't heard these stories. Maybe when you hear them, you are astounded. Like, it's hard to believe. For those of us who these are maybe normal, I think we take that for granted. How amazing it is what we're reading, what we're hearing. Put yourself in the shoes of the crowd. What is the crowd feeling and thinking? Mark wants you to experience this like you were actually there. So pay attention to the crowd, how they're wowed, how they don't know what to think, how sometimes they're a little bit freaked out about who Jesus is. His disciples feel that way every now and again. Don't take for granted the miracles that we read again and again and again, because Jesus is that amazing. He's that miraculous. And so pay attention to the crowd as you read. The third thing I want you to pay attention to is the kingdom of God. Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom of God. Through and through, if you, uh, as you're reading, highlight or underline or circle words that are repeated. Crowd will be one of them. The kingdom of God will be another. Universally, scholars agree, Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? It's, <clears throat> it seems kind of high level. It seems kind of philosophical, like, Oh, the kingdom of God. It's something, you know, high and maybe it's heavenish and it's, it's kind of out there. The kingdom of God is right here on earth all the time. And Jesus comes to inaugurate, to begin the kingdom of God on earth among us. All day, every day, it's happening in you and me all the time. And so these parables that we read about, they are told to teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God. And that's where we're going to dive in this morning. You heard read for us uh, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the farmer sowing seed or planting seed. I want to begin just after that parable because Jesus is going to explain this parable to his followers. They're curious about what it means, and so he's going to teach them about this. The, uh, the text will be on the screen. You can follow along with me. I'm in Mark 4, starting in verse 10. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, 
you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, I want to pause here. The secret of the kingdom of God. We might ask ourselves, if Jesus has come to proclaim the kingdom of God, why is it a secret? There's a couple things happening here. The first is something I'm going to call the messianic secret, okay? One of the other things you can watch for in Mark's gospel is the messianic secret. Messianic, as in Jesus is the Messiah, the secret about Jesus being the Messiah. There's a reason Mark only tells you that one time. It's because it's kind of a secret for two really good reasons. Number one, Jesus knows that him being the Messiah will get him killed. So he keeps it a secret. And so when he does ministry, you will see over and over and over again, Jesus is telling people, don't tell anybody what you've just seen, what you've just heard. You might have just been healed, but I don't want you to tell anybody about it. Jesus knows that this will get him killed. The second reason that there is a messianic secret in the gospel of Mark is that Mark wants you to figure out who Jesus is for yourself. Jesus is not walking around proclaiming, I'm the son of God. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he does it in this kind of secret way. And here's where we find Jesus explaining this parable and telling his disciples there is a secret to the kingdom of God. It's not because he doesn't want everybody to understand it. It's because there's a nature to the kingdom of God that's just hard to understand. Now, stick with me. What Jesus does here is he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. This comes straight out of a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6. Now, we're reading through the New Testament and the Old Testament together. We're not quite to Isaiah yet, but we'll get there. And I'm sure as we start reading Isaiah, I might get some emails, some phone calls about how sad, about how downtrodden, about how destructive God seems when we start reading some of the, the prophets. Isaiah prophesies in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah the destruction of God's people. And it seems mean, but Isaiah's point is there's a covenant, there's a place where we're supposed to live, it's within God's boundaries for us. And people of Judah, when you don't live in that, Isaiah says, there is destruction that will come with that. And you know what people thought of Isaiah? They really didn't like him. And they really didn't like his message. And so Isaiah was proclaiming all of these things that came true. There was destruction to the people of Judah. They were conquered by Assyria and then Babylon and all these things happened. Isaiah prophesied them all. But people didn't care. And people didn't listen. And this is where Jesus chooses to quote Isaiah. He's teaching about the parable. He's teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God. And he quotes a piece of scripture that people didn't want to hear. He references a prophet that was correct and people didn't care. I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us that these parables, the nature of the kingdom is shocking. And more often than not, people don't want to hear what the kingdom of God is actually going to do in their life. It's going to ruffle some feathers. It's going to mix things up. The systems that we're used to living in might be turned off their axis a little bit. And that's a good thing. And so Jesus explains 
what this parable means. I'm going to pick up in Mark 4, uh, verse 14. The text is on the screen. The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Seeds are going to fall. The kingdom of God is going to show up everywhere, but it's going to fall on different kinds of soil. One of those things that's repeated, I said, you know, if, there's, if you're reading and you see repeated words, maybe circle them or highlight them, underline them. Those who hear, those who hear, those who hear, those who hear, and there's more at the end. Those who hear and accept and produce. And we'll dig into that in just a little bit. Before we do that, I want to introduce you to someone who has heard the word most of her life. She has an incredible story. I met her through our Alpha course here. She has hosted Alpha for years. And I sat down with her a while ago. We got coffee, we chatted, and I was just astounded by her story. She's totally normal. She'll tell you that herself. But the way in which these things have worked out in her life, the work of God, God's timing, the way that she has heard and accepted God's word, we're going to get to know her a little bit because I want you to hear her story for yourself. So meet Julie. Here she is. My name is Julie Gajowski. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and I live in Ankeny, Iowa with my husband, two girls, and two huskies. I was raised in Memphis, Tennessee by my grandmother. She was a strong Christian Southern woman who took me to church every Sunday. You know, I was raised in the church, so I went to a choir, I went to camp, I actually went to daycare at church, I did sports through church, so a lot of my life was spent at church. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but you know, as a kid, you don't really fully understand what you're learning. You know, you learn about Jesus and that he's a good, uh, he's God, he's a, a good person, we should uh, be like him, but it doesn't really take root. And so one time in particular, I went to camp and camp was amazing. You know, we canoed, we did all these fun things. And we also had group where we would worship and then we would join a small group. And in these small groups, we really uh, talked about Jesus and who he was and why he's important and what he does for us and how we should find our identity in him. And I just gained so much from that one experience that when I went home, I told my grandmother about it. And I remember the exact spot we were in. I was in the car with her and just talking about my experience and said, um, you know, I want to be baptized. I just felt this overwhelming warmth and light and just knew that was the Holy Spirit. And so a few months later at my church, I was baptized. It was full immersion. We also had to do a profession of faith to 2,000 people as a 12-year-old. It was a little nerve-wracking, but, um, you know, it was a great experience. I love hearing how Julie heard this for a long time and 
finally something took root. She was part of a a community that helped her grasp what that was, and so she was baptized. And what I want to introduce you to, Julie's going to talk about, um, we're going to see this play out in her story. This is what we call the hope circle. Now, I don't expect you to actually know what this is. It exists. You can find it on our website, but really we kind of just use it as staff. Uh, When we're planning events, groups, classes, it helps us identify cycles of faith, of our faith life, okay? Our journey as a person of faith ebbs and flows all the time. And so this is what we call the hope circle. And I want you to pay attention first to the bigger words um, on the circle, hear, accept, and produce. These come straight out of Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Those who hear and accept God's word produce a harvest. It's, this is straight out of scripture. And so we have attached kind of labels to what this means as we cycle through our faith journeys. The first is, is a seeker. A seeker is someone who says, I know there's something more. I'm not entirely sure what it is. I'm going to start to check it out. I might dig in a little bit, ask some questions. I'm not bought into the whole faith thing yet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to check it out because I think that there's more. That's a seeker. They hear the word of God. We get to decide whether we believe that word of God when we decide that that sounds pretty good. I think I might trust that. We become believers. As we are believers, we begin to accept what God has for us. We begin to take that word that we believe and we begin to trust it. We learn how to surrender. We learn how to step in line with God's plan for our life. Now, none of us are perfect at that all the time, but this is kind of the natural cycle that goes. And so as we accept what God has for us in life, as we accept that we are children in God's kingdom, as we accept his grace and his forgiveness, we become followers of God. And followers just end up producing things. It's just the natural cycle. Followers produce, and so we call that being a servant leader. Servant leaders run this church, just so you know. Did you know there's only like 20-some of us on staff at Hope Ankeny, approximately? We don't do all the stuff. You guys do all the stuff. Servant leaders show up. They lead our small groups. They teach our classes. They do uh, Bible readings on the weekends. They're part of our worship team. Servant leaders are all over this place. So many of you are also servant leaders outside the walls of this building. And it's because you are part of this cycle of faith. Now, I think it's easy when we look at something like this to say, I think I'm only over here and I'd really like to be over there, but like, I don't, I don't know how to make, I don't know how to keep going. I don't know how to make it over there. Please hear me clearly this morning. Wherever you find yourself in your faith cycle, it's right where God has you. You are there for a purpose, on purpose. It is no accident that you are where you are. And there's a reason that this is a circle. Because life ebbs and flows. Our faith life also ebbs and flows. I don't know about you, there have been seasons in life where I can get up early, I can read my Bible, I can have some prayer time. Then life happens and you have like a one-year-old and you don't have free mornings anymore, right? Our faith life ebbs and flows all the time with the natural cycles of our regular life. And so if there have been seasons where you were a servant leader, you were in a ton of, you know, volunteer positions and it just worked for your schedule and it filled you up, and then life happens and you find yourself just hanging out at church and just coming and reading your Bible here and there, that's okay. Let me reassure you, these are normal cycles in our faith journey. And so Julie heard the word. Something took root. She was baptized. And then her life was perfect. 
No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't perfect. You guys got that more than Saturday night got that. I'll, I'll, I'll keep working on it. Her life wasn't perfect after her baptism, right? Life happens. And so I want you to hear her story uh, as it continues along this faith cycle. Take a look. So I was really lucky that my grandmother raised me. Uh, my, my parents were both severe alcoholics. I went through things that no child should have to go through. But my grandmother was always there and so was God. I was really lucky to have her. Uh, she really instilled in me that faith and that God was going to be with me through everything that you know I would experience. Fortunately and unfortunately, she raised me pretty strict. And um, in high school, I rebelled pretty hard. There was a struggle there. And um, at, at a really low point in that during that time, I just prayed. I prayed that God would put me back on the right path. It was a very intense prayer. I remember being in my room and just praying for what my future would look like, uh, how I would get out of certain situations. I even prayed for my future husband. And I was very specific. I prayed that he would be an Italian, <laughs> very strong. Uh, individual um, that was stable in my life because I needed that stability. I uh, turned my life around, I joined student ministry, and I was uh, in the international business program, so I had international friends, and one of them introduced me to an Italian. We met the first week in college, and we've been together ever since. So it was at the time when I, when I had that really intense prayer that I just started realizing what God could do in my life. I started to trust Him more, which was really hard because I uh, didn't trust a lot of people. I also didn't have good self-esteem because I blamed myself for my parents. I thought that you know they were the way that they were because of me. So it was really hard to kind of get out of that. But once I started trusting God, reading the Bible, going to church, um, talking to other people, I learned that my past does not define me, God does. And uh, anyone can change their life if they trust in His plan and His timing. And timing is so key because timing took me to Des Moines, Iowa <laughs> when I was from the South to marry an Italian. And that was not my plan originally. <laughs> like that was no plan that I had. Um, but it was, a fan, you know, it's fantastic where I'm at now. I remember when I first moved here, we were church shopping and I went to uh, Hope Ankeny and at the, after the first sermon I knew that was where I was meant to be. When I first started going, um, I would just go and, you know, on Sundays and just listen to the sermons and really take it in. After a couple of years, right, I started feeling a nudge to do more. And I was, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know really what to do. And then there was an advertisement about Alpha. And so I went to Alpha and I, I just learned so much. Alpha really taught me um, how to trust in God, that your past doesn't define you, that the way you mission to people is just by loving them and through your own personal experiences, and that you can use your past and your pain to mission to others and be more accepting of them and be more loving towards them. And so I just really learned a lot in that first session of Alpha, so much so that I became a host after that. And I have hosted ever since. I love where she said, trust in God's plan and trust in his timing. And timing took me to Des Moines, Iowa when I was from the South to marry an Italian. <laughs> She's so funny. I just love it. I don't know what God's plan and his timing looks like in your life. Uh, I do know he has a perfect plan and that his timing is also perfect. 
as you hear Julie's story kind of play out along the circle, I wonder where you find yourself this morning. Wherever you find yourself is perfect. God's got you there on purpose. And I'm going to just remind you of something that I think we all already know, but it's that we are not in control of God's timing. We are not in control of God's timing. It is God's timing. And often I think we'd, we'd like to place ourselves in a different place in our faith journey, or I'd like to be somewhere else in my life journey. And the reality is we are not in control of God's timing. This parable that, that we've been talking about talks about soil and how some of God's seeds, this kingdom of God shows up on footpath, right, on concrete. Some of it shows up on, on rocky soil. Others sh- show up and then, you know, all the worries of the world, the lure of wealth, it scorches that tiny little plant because the roots aren't deep enough. And I'm going to call this the soil of our soul, okay? It, it seems kind of silly. Just stick with me. The soil of our soul. We are not in control of God's timing, but we are in control of the soil of our soul. We decide whether we cultivate our soil, whether we till it, get the rocks out, We don't control God's timing. We do have the ability to accept God's word and participate in the harvest that the kingdom of God brings. As I was researching this this week, I came across a quote by N.T. Wright about this parable. I really like N.T. Wright. I bring him up a lot. Uh, He has commentaries for every book of the Bible. If you're curious, they're really down to earth. He's got a lot of good stuff to say. Here's what he says about this specific parable. He says, Jesus' vision of how God was sowing his word was, as we would say today, politically incorrect. People were expecting a great moment of renewal. They believed that Israel would be rescued lock, stock, and barrel. God's kingdom would explode onto the world stage in a blaze of glory. No, declares Jesus. It's more like a farmer sowing seed much of which apparently goes to waste because the soil isn't fit for it, can't sustain it. There's a reason Jesus references the prophet Isaiah. It's because the people of Israel were expecting some great moment of renewal. They were expecting God to show up and rescue them. And when Isaiah said to them, devastation is coming, friends. We better turn, turn our, our way of life around. They thought, no thanks, we like our way of life. Isaiah was politically incorrect for his day. Jesus was also politically incorrect for his day because people, again, were expecting God to show up in a blaze of glory. Show up, God, and make everything right. And what Jesus shows us time and time again in his parables and his teaching is that someday... God will show up in a blaze of glory. But God is actually always showing up every day in teeny tiny seeds that are scattered everywhere. The kingdom of God is in and around us every single day, everywhere. We don't control the timing. We don't control where those seeds are planted, where God scatters the kingdom we do control the soil of our soul. 
we decide if we want to pull the rocks out. We decide if we want that kingdom work to not go to waste. How's your soul soil today? How does it feel to plant seeds, to be part of the kingdom? Do you believe that you are part of the kingdom of God every single day, that you have a role in bringing the kingdom to earth? In Mark 4, verse 20, Jesus talks about what good soil soil looks like. He says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word. What does it look like for us to accept God's word? I think it looks like taking it for what it is. Not the bits and pieces that we like or feel correct to us. All of it. We take all of who Jesus is, all of who God is, and we say, I'm going to build my life on this. I'm going to trust this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that acceptance is going to play out in our life. It's going, to, it's going to produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. The harvest is great. Some of that seed might go to waste. But the harvest is huge, Jesus promises. The parables that follow this, there's something to this seed thing, okay? The parables that follow this, the parable of the growing seed, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. This is a different parable a couple verses later. The seed sprouts and grows. The earth produces the crop on its own. And then we get the parable of the mustard seed. How can I describe the kingdom of God, Jesus says? It's like a mustard seed that's planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but becomes the largest of all garden plants. There's something to this. The kingdom of God is small, but it's everywhere, every single day. And we might feel like just teeny tiny pieces in this kingdom. But it's we who bring the kingdom of God around us every single day. As I was marinating on all of this, I thought, okay, we hear God's word, we accept God's word. That makes sense to me. But then we got to the word produce. And we produce a harvest. And I thought, am I supposed to produce? Because that seems to me like we talk about we're saved by grace through faith alone. We're not saved by our works. And so I kind of felt like if I'm supposed to produce stuff, that feels like a work. feels like something I'm supposed to do. And I, so I kind of wrestled with this for a little while. And then a couple words popped into my mind. And it came out as a math equation. I really like math. And so, it's, again, stick with me. You're sticking with me a lot this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, God's provision plus our participation equals produce. I do not produce. It's all God. I just step alongside him. God's timing, God's plan, God's provision. And as someone who hears and accept, accepts God's word, I just participate in the plan that he already has. God's provision and my participation equals produce. Why? Because it is the nature of the kingdom of God to produce. You and I, we cannot produce on our own. 
if we try, number one, we probably fail more than not, but it's also exhausting. God does it all. That's what the kingdom of God is. It produces fruit all the time. And we as participants in the kingdom, as we participate with God's plan, we're known by our fruit, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. We get to bring the kingdom every day all around us simply by partnering with God. How awesome is that? We just bring ourselves into God's plan and we say, God, you have way better stuff for me. So what's our participation look like? It's our trust, our acceptance, and our surrender. I want to show you how Julie does this in her life. She does a beautiful job of, of just saying, I'm just part of God's plan now. So take a look at how she has participated with God. I've actually often thought about my purpose in life and, and what God really is calling me to do. I thought originally it was just this big thing, you know, that I, I'm waiting on something to happen or waiting on a sign. And I've learned recently with the last few years that it's not a big thing, it's the little things. I've learned that God puts you in certain situations um, at the right time. So I, I regularly ask my neighbors to come to church. There was one neighbor in particular where we started running every day, uh, almost every day. We would uh, chat about our life, you know, our journey, uh, where we were from, how we got to where we are. She started asking me questions like, how are you so happy all the time? And I would share with her, you know, I find great comfort in reading the Bible, going to church, and would invite her to church. And she would say, oh, you know, I'll think about it. I kept inviting her and she would say, oh, you know, I'll think about it. And then I invited her again and she said, yeah, I'll come with you. I was like, great. So she came to church and after that first sermon, she just exploded with questions. And it was the best thing I have ever seen. Uh, she would just ask about, you know, what did you think about this? Or what do you think about that? I'm gonna come next Sunday with you. And I'm like, great. And then, you know, she started coming with me more and more. And now, I mean, God has just shown up in so many ways in her life that her husband is starting to come to church. Their son is about to be baptized. And it's just amazing to see and to know that that was not me, that was God, but he allowed me to be in that situation at that time. And it's just crazy what he can do. You can't always control the timing of where other people are at. You can just go along with them, support them, love them. And when they're ready, they can choose to invite God into their life or even if he was already there, um, come back to him. We always have the doorknob. We can always open the door to Jesus, but he isn't going to just bust in. He is waiting for you to open the door and it's hard to do sometimes. There are many instances that I can see now that I wasn't able to see then where God was directing me and guiding me and loving me and being uh, patient with me and having mercy. I now see that that gave me the opportunity to mission to others, to plant those seeds. Just the takeaway is to be yourself and to know who you are in God and to be open to his plan for you. She makes it sound succinct in the video. Like she invited her friend once and then twice and then her friend came. She invited this neighbor for like over a year. They just consistently hung out and Julie just was who she was. She participated in God's plan. God will always provide. <laughs> his provision is perfect. His timing is perfect. And his plan is perfect. 
We just get to participate. Julie references something uh, that we teach in Alpha. It's this verse from Revelation 3.20. Jesus is speaking in this vision to John, and he says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we'll share a meal together as friends. I'm not sure where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're getting a little nudge to push the door open for Jesus a little bit. Like she said, he doesn't bust his way in. He says, I'm going to knock. And if you open the door, I will gladly come in and we're going to hang out as friends. Maybe your door has been wide open for a long time and Jesus is just nudging you to invite someone to enjoy it too. Wherever you are on that faith cycle, that faith journey, it's good. God's there with you. And you participate in the kingdom of God every single day. We bring the kingdom of God to this world every single day. We'll pray the Lord's Prayer here in just a minute before we take communion. And we ask for God's kingdom to come to earth. It's here. Do you believe you're part of it? Do you believe you have a very important role in that every single day? And you don't have to do the producing. God's already going to do that. We just step alongside him.